The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. I need to start us off this morning with a confession. I hate running. I, I hate, I despise running. How many out, you, out there uh, are with me on that? All right, good, good. You didn't leave me hanging. Now, how many of you out there are, uh, are joggers? How many joggers in the house? All right. All right. Well, we, we've got a mixed crowd and that, that's cool. Let me just explain myself, all right? Um, I get it. Millions of people around the world participate in this athletic endeavor every day, and they do so with unwavering enthusiasm and undeniable ability. But for me, I, I, just, I just can't get fired up at the thought of, of going through all that physical exercise, that, that strenuous physical activity, and for what seems like no reason, really. I mean, like... I can understand running being part of a sport, but I don't get running as the sport. All right? Are you tracking with me? It's not just not my thing. And you know what? That's okay. Running is uh, running's a voluntary activity, all right? Nobody can force you to like it. Nobody can force you to do it. We get to pick and choose the things that we're excited about. But this morning, I want you to know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have no such option. Simply put, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a runner. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a runner. Over and over, Scripture compares following Jesus to running in a race. And like I think it's a, and actually it's a really good word picture. Just, just think with me about this. It's kind of like a marathon. The Christian race is, is long and it's grueling and it demands both endurance and pacing. In other ways, it's, it's kind of like a short sprint. Our race is one of urgency and immediacy and exertion. And like a cross-country trek, our race can cover diverse terrain and we can face harsh elements. And so let me say it again. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be a runner. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, um, I, I just don't really want to be in that race. I'm not feeling the greatest today. Maybe, I mean, could I get a doctor's note about that? Or maybe my mom could write something in and kind of get me excused from that activity. It's not really my thing. No, no, this isn't optional. There are no passive observers standing on the sidelines, handing out cups of Gatorade in the body of Christ. The race is on. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in it. The race is on and you're in it. And so the only issue that really matters and the only issue that really is left for us to discuss is what kind of race will you run? The race is on and you're in it. So what kind of race will you run? Will you run a solid race from beginning to end? Or perhaps will you stumble and stagger your way through the tape? Or worst of all, will you bail out and call it quits? And I'm so thankful that, that God hasn't left us to figure things out for ourselves. And like any good coach, he provides us with a plan to help us run a strong race from the starting block to the finish line. And we find that in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. So why don't you turn there with me if you're not already in the book of Hebrews. I invite you there. 
It's near the end of the Bible if you're kind of just starting to get familiar with Scripture. And if you, uh, if you hit James or Peter, you went a little too far, so just hang a left and turn back a few pages. And uh, whether your copy of God's Word is old-fashioned paper like this or you brought your phone, uh, just really glad for you to have a copy of it in front of you because um, this is our authority. This is our ultimate authority. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology here at Harvest. And what I have to say doesn't really matter all that much, but what God has to say matters a whole lot. And so we're going to look to his word for instruction and for teaching this morning. You, you ready? You there? Let's read those first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'll pray and we will jump into it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your precious word today. God, you have given it to us that we might have life, that we might have sustenance, that we might eat it. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so God, would we come hungry to your word this morning? ready to take it in and to digest what we are learning and hearing. And God, that it would would bear fruit in our lives. It would help us to live the life that you have called us to live, to help us to, to run the race that you have called us to run. And so God, would you speak to us powerfully through your word, not my word, but your word, God. Do what only you can do. Do what you promise you will do. We thank you in advance for all that will take place in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. To be a Christian is to be a runner. So how can I run a strong Christian race? That's the question for us this morning. And this passage gives us five keys. All right. You ready for that? Here's the first key. The first key is that we need to run listening. We need to run listening. And we see this in the phrase, the very first phrase there in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... I don't know about you, but when I read those words, they sound a little strange to me. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. I mean, like, what's that all about? Well, the first thing we need to notice is that the author of Hebrews is making a direct connection back to the previous chapter. I'll just throw in a little Bible study tip for free here this morning. Uh, Anytime you see the word therefore, it's a, it's a pivot word and it, it ties what came before with what comes after. It, it ties those two concepts together. And so for us to understand what he's going to say here, following the word therefore, we need to go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews to understand what was he talking about before he hits the word therefore. And some of you may know that Hebrews chapter 11 is, is considered the great faith chapter in all of scripture. In my Bible, in fact, if you maybe want to turn at the top of chapter 11, it says by faith. That's kind of the summary of all that's taught in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. And I kind of like to think of Hebrews 11 as um, the faith hall of fame. The faith hall of fame. How many of you have ever visited a hall of fame of any kind? See your hands? Yeah. 
Some of you have. I've had the privilege of being at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto, as like many of you have probably, and um, the College Football Hall of Fame, which is now in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been at both of those, and in fact, my dear wife Carla has actually traipsed through those places with me. So am I, am I a lucky guy or what? Uh, she was willing to do that. But if you've ever been to a Hall of Fame of some kind, you know that they're filled with statues and pictures and special displays that that highlight the incredible achievements of some very remarkable individuals, whether they're athletes or musicians or movie stars or whatever the Hall of Fame may be about. And that's essentially the picture that we have here in Hebrews chapter 11. It's as if the author is walking down the hall and pointing out the portraits of men and women who were approved by God, people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and and many others. And these men and women were approved by God because they lived lives of great faith. I would encourage you to take some time and read Hebrews 11 if you haven't been there in a while. This afternoon, it will, it will stir your faith. It will encourage your heart. And these are the individuals who are the great cloud of witnesses that we see here in verse 1. The inspiring examples who have gone, been, uh, gone before us and who have been found faithful in the race. But in a, real, a very real sense, or a, a real genuine sense, the list doesn't end with those Old Testament saints. I mean, that's kind of where the story ended when Hebrews was written. But the story has continued since then. And so the Faith Hall of Fame is still adding members. I was just thinking about the New Testament apostles, for example. I mean, Peter and James and John and Paul. I mean, they're definitely in that Faith Hall of Fame. Or what about some of the heroes of the faith? throughout church history. People like Martin Luther, maybe some of these names will be familiar to you. Martin Luther, or William Tyndale, or Hudson Taylor, the Wesley brothers, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham. Those guys are in there. Let's bring it even closer to home. I did a little research this week on our city of Barrie. I'm still getting to learn everything about Barrie. But apparently Barry, uh, the area here was first settled at the end of the War of 1812. And it was officially established as a town in 1837. And the first congregation in our city, a Methodist one, was planted in April 1836. That's almost two centuries ago. And many other churches, including ours, have come since that time. And what that means for our discussion here and now is that there are thousands of athletes who have run the race right here in Barrie, before we even entered the scene. We're not the first people who have done this. And it's almost as if all of these faithful followers, down through the ages, from the Old Testament right to today, it's almost as if they're jammed into a huge stadium and they're cheering us on as we run the Christian race before them. You can do it. We know you can. Don't, don't give up. We're in your corner. Give it all you've got. Quitting isn't an option. They're yelling their encouragements. But they're not just spectators trying to pump us up with platitudes. They're also motivating us by their own example. They're witnesses to the fact that the life of faith is the only life to live. They're witnesses to the fact that the same God who was with them then is with us now. And we can run as well as they did. And it has nothing to do with us and our capabilities, but everything to do with God and his capabilities. We follow a God who never changes, 
And because of that, we can accomplish the same things. And he can accomplish the same things in us and through us if we trust him. That's what this great cloud of witnesses is saying. My question for us is, do we hear them? Are we listening? Are we paying attention to their voices of encouragement and voices of challenge? These godly heroes, they're calling us to follow in their footsteps, to, to run the race to run the race of faith and then to pass the baton to the next generation of runners that are coming behind us. Some of you have been a little further down that path and you need to continue to pass it on even to people right here this morning. May the legacy not end with us. Ask God to open your ears to the cries of the faithful men and women who have gone before us. So if I'm going to run a strong Christian race, I must run listening. That's the first key. Second key is this. Not only do I need to run listening, but I also need to run light. I need to run light. Notice the, the next phrase. We're just kind of moving phrase by phrase here in this passage. The next phrase says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In any race, there are things that can get in the way and slow a runner down. And the successful athlete must do everything possible to eliminate these impediments. And I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek Olympics back in ancient days, athletes would train wearing heavy garments in order to, to stress and to exercise their muscles. And on the day of the race, in fact, they would throw off all of their clothing and run the race completely naked, which is why, by the way, only men participated and watched. But today, runners, thankfully, we don't do that. Those of you who like to run... I don't do any of it. But anyway, runners today wear incredibly lightweight shoes and, and thin, unrestrictive clothing, right? And those who are really serious about the sport sometimes even shave their body hair for improved aerodynamics, just like swimmers do. And in a similar way, this is what followers of Christ are called to do, to cast off everything that would seek to slow us down and wear us out in the race. We got to run light. Now, the, the writer here in Hebrews mentions two distinct categories of obstructions, two kinds of things that can get in the way. First, he talks about every weight. You see that there? Every weight. And every weight refers to things that restrict our movement in the race, but that aren't necessarily bad or wrong in and of themselves. In fact, these hindrances might even be okay for some others because every runner has different things that cause him or her trouble. I'm kind of reminded of the the situation in first century Corinth, and we see this in the book of uh, Corinthians. And for some of the believers there, the whole idea of uh, eating meat that had been sacrificed to pagan idols was a huge obstacle to their newfound faith. I mean, they just couldn't wrap their brains around doing that. But for other believers in that very same church, this was no big deal. And they understood that since the God of the Bible is the only true God, the pagan practice of sacrificing the meat to the idols was utterly meaningless. It, it didn't even matter. And so what was troubling for one wasn't an issue for another. And that same thing can be true in our lives. And so I just encourage you to think about what are the weights in your life? Some of the things that may be slowing you down in the Christian race. Maybe some of the shows you watch on TV or the movies you like to go to or the music you like to listen to or the books or magazines you read or the websites you surf, the social media apps you download, or maybe it's some recreational activity, the friends you hang out with, or maybe 
maybe it's more about the amount of time or energy or money you spend on any one of those things. It's not necessarily even the thing. It's how much of yourself you devote to it. Any one of these things could be an issue for you, but perhaps not for someone else. Do you know what the weights are in your life where I I hope you're at least giving it some thought? And here's the bottom line. Whatever isn't strengthening and encouraging you to serve Christ must be eliminated. Because a winning athlete doesn't just choose between good and bad. A winning athlete chooses between better and best. You have to make some tough choices. So that's the, the every weight. And then the author goes on and addresses a second category of obstruction. And this is that phrase, sin, which clings so closely. So obviously he's talking about actual sin. And just so we're all on the same page, sin is, is missing God's mark. It's, it's um, disobeying his commands. It's going one way when he says to go another way. It's, it's failing to live up to the standards that we find in God's word. That's what sin is. And all of us are prone to sin. None of us is immune to sin. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And so this is something we all need to deal with. This is a weight or an obstruction, a hindrance that each of us needs to wrestle with if we're going to run the race. And to stick with the metaphor that we have here in Hebrews 12.1, talking about running, it's, it's almost as if sin wraps itself around us so that we, we trip and we stumble every time we try to move forward for the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, when you, some of those games, when you tie the shoelaces together and then you try to run and and you just, you can't make any progress. That's kind of like what's going on here. It keeps us from running our best in the Christian race. Or maybe to use another word picture, it's as if someone runs up behind us, sneaks up and just knocks the air right out of our lungs. Have you ever had that happen to you? And you just, you just kind of stop dead in your tracks, just trying to take in air and trying to regain your composure before you can even think about what's next. That's what sin does as we're running the Christian race. This is the devil's primary tactic. And the scripture tells us that Satan is prowling around like a hungry lion looking for dinner. All right? He's looking for a buffet. And he wants to force us off track because of sin. He wants us to get disqualified from the race. And so what are we supposed to do about that? I mean, how do we respond to that? Well, first... The best approach is to resist the devil in his evil advances. You know, it's the, the best offense is a good defense. And to, to stand firm in the face of temptation. But when we do fall, and we will often, God promises to forgive us. He promises to restore us when we confess our wrongdoing. Because of his, his mercy and because of his grace, we can go on in victory unhindered by the sin that has us tangled up. And I I don't know what the specific sin issue is in your life because you likely struggle with something a little bit different than the things that I struggle with. But if you're honest with yourself and if you're honest with God, there's at least one area of sinfulness that just keeps rearing its ugly head in your life. And if you're having a hard time coming up with that, I, I would encourage you just ask the Lord or maybe ask your spouse or a close friend or a member of your, your small group to help you. Uh, to point it out in your life. Like, where are you seeing that I'm failing the Lord? And then come to God with a repentant heart and ask for his cleansing. And not only when you surrender your life to Christ in the first place, I mean, all of us do this when we enter into relationship with Jesus, but it needs to be something that's a continual manner. 
It's how we continue to approach the Lord. And we keep short accounts with him. So is there any unconfessed sin in your life today? And if the answer is yes, I urge you to deal with it right away. The writer says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Get rid of the heavy baggage. He said, I'm going to run a strong Christian race. I need to run light. I need to run light. Well, here's a, a third key. I must also run long. I must also run long. And this is, I think, the uh, author's point when he challenges us to run with perseverance. To run with perseverance. He's not talking about a short jog here. Rather, he, he's speaking of the sustained effort that's required of a distance runner who keeps going with great determination over the long haul. In fact, the, the word that's translated perseverance here in verse 1 is the Greek word hupomene. How many of you have heard that a few times here at Harvest? Hupomene, it's one of our favorite words. We've referenced it many times. And it conveys the idea, let me just remind you, it conveys the idea of endurance and persistence of of tenaciously keeping on, even when everything in you wants to give in and give up. And this is what those heroes of the faith, the great cloud of witnesses, this is what they did. And this is what we're called to do as well. We're called to run long. And perseverance is a a recurring theme in the pages of the Bible. It seems amazingly that God is much more concerned with how we end than with how we begin. It's not as important how you launch out of the starting blocks as it is how you cross the finish line. Think about that. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 3. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, we need to, we need to run long. There can be no room in our vocabulary for the word quit. John Stephen Aquari certainly understood this truth. He was a marathon runner from the country of Tanzania in the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. And Aquari isn't remembered for setting a world record. He's not remembered for winning a gold medal. Aquari is remembered for finishing in last place. Long after the winners had crossed the finish line and the awards had been handed out, a the few thousand people remaining in the stadium were surprised by the, the glow of police car lights escorting a man into the stadium. And here was a quarry struggling to complete the final lap with a, a bandage around his badly injured knee. And although a quarry had entered the race as a favorite to win, uh, he had stumbled and fallen at the midway point as some other runners were jockeying for position. And now, this small crowd cheered as he staggered across the finish line. And later, a reporter asked Aquari why he hadn't retired from the race. Several other runners had just quit. Why hadn't you just retired from the race? You, you clearly had no chance of winning. I mean, why bother? And Aquari seemed genuinely puzzled by the question. He, he didn't even get the question. And then finally, this was his answer. He said, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. Isn't that amazing? It's a powerful, powerful example of perseverance. 
And John Stephen Aquari, he ran long, literally. But I ask us this morning, can the same be said of us in a spiritual sense? Are you persevering no matter what? Are you, are you giving it everything you've got to cross the finish line? Or have you kind of packed it in? I just want to encourage you, if you feel like the race is too grueling or you're, you're just too worn out to continue, remember, God is the giver of the strength. God is the one who will enable you to run long. Isaiah 40 says this, The Lord gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even use, even people whose bodies are in good shape, they, they shall faint, they shall be weary, and young men, they shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, God will pick you up. He'll dust you off. He'll set you back on track. He will give you the strength to persevere to the finish line. You just need to ask him because if we're going to run a strong Christian race, we, we've got to run long. We've got to run long. All right, key number four. Key number four, I must run in lane. I must run in lane. I think we see this in the little phrase, the race that is set before us, the race that is set before us. The NIV translates it as the race marked out for us. I just want you to think about a cross-country meet for a moment. The course is, is well laid out and the runners are given instructions before the race as to where they should go and, and there are clear markers along the route to guide them. Or consider a, a track meet. And whether the distance is short or long, each athlete has a specific lane. And those lanes are indicated by painted lines on the track. And so the race is set before the runners. It's marked out. And isn't the same thing true of the Christian journey? When we put our trust in Jesus, we're not placed on a road with no signposts. We're not left to run in any haphazard manner and thus end up way off the beaten path. Rather, we've been blessed with several vital resources that can help us stay in lane, to, to stay in the lane that we're supposed to run. And I've jotted down three. You maybe want to make a note of these. The first thing that can help us stay in lane is God's word. God's word. This should be no surprise. Psalm 119, amazing chapter in scripture. All 176 verses proclaim the, the awesomeness and the usefulness of scripture. And I could highlight any number of verses from this psalm, but I just want to mention one. Verse 105 from Psalm 119. David says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word shines a spotlight on his desired path for our lives. It, it keeps us on track. It, en it enables us to run in lane. And we could say so much more, but just read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, talk about it in your small group. Make it a priority in your life. God's word can help you stay in lane. Second resource that can help us run in lane is God's spirit. Not just God's word, but God's spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. And when I decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my life and he's there to encourage and exhort, to comfort and convict. And he'll point us in the right direction. Often with his his quiet promptings. And we need to keep in step with him if we're going to run in lane. That's what God's spirit does. Final resource that I'll mention is God's people. 
God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but the Lord has graciously given us one another to assist us in running a strong Christian race. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And when we seek out the counsel of others who themselves love God's word and who are being led by God's spirit and who have the benefit of a a bit of life experience, it helps us to run in lane. And why is it that so often we ignore this resource? Last month, I, um, I'd seen several people from our church that I perceived were just making very poor decisions after better advice. And I tweeted this, and maybe you can relate. I said this, one of the hardest things about pastoral ministry is watching people you care about ignore godly counsel and instead make stupid decisions. And that's not just true for pastors, that's true for any of us who love Jesus. To see somebody who gets good advice and just ignores it and then gets off track, gets out of lane, gets derailed from the race entirely. It's heartbreaking and that's not what God intends. It's, it's foolishness. That's what Proverbs 28 says. It, that person is a fool. Heeding the wisdom of God's people is one of the things that keeps us running in lane. So much more could be said about all of this, but how are you doing it running the race that is set before you? Are you staying on the right track? Or are you taking full advantage of God's word in your life and God's spirit and his promptings and God's people that he's placed around you? Are you taking advantage of that in the best sense of the word? If I'm going to run a strong Christian race, I must run in lane. So run looking, run light, run long, run in lane. And now finally this. I need to run looking. I need to run looking. I must run looking. Check out the first part of verse two. Very clear. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. This isn't just a casual glance. It's not a quick peek. This is a firm gaze. In fact, several Bible translations translate it as fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The the gist is an intense and singular focus. We're to run with eyes for no one and nothing but Jesus. He's our ultimate goal. And as we run toward him, we must block out every distraction that would clamor for our attention. And we need to lock in our target. Apparently, this is what good runners do. I can't speak from personal experience, but I've heard that they attempt to fix their eyes on some object at the end of the track to prevent them from losing focus and becoming distracted. In a similar way, this is why racehorses wear blinders during their competitions so that they see only the end. We have to look at the right thing. Or more specifically, we need to look at the right person. We must run looking at Christ alone. This really is the foundation to everything that we've talked about today. Why is this so important? Well, because look again at verse 2. He, Jesus, is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The one who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author tells us that Jesus alone is worthy of of our firm and our focused gaze because through his perfect life and his substitutionary death, 
He fully accomplished everything that was necessary for us to have a genuine relationship with him, both now and forever. He initiated and he completed the work. He's the founder and the perfecter. He cleared the path of faith so that we can run in it. The way is now open. The the roadblocks have been eliminated. What difference will all of this make if we look to Jesus? Verse 3 says that we should consider him who endured such, uh, from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We just talked about how when we look to Jesus, we remain focused and we avoid all sorts of distractions. But when we look elsewhere, we become prone to exhaustion and discouragement. That's what he's saying here. That's what the grow weary and the faint-hearted are referring to. And when we find ourselves in that situation, we're ready to short-circuit the race. I've been there. I'm sure many of you have been there as well. But Jesus, friends, Jesus has endured every trial, every temptation known to man, and he overcame them all. He completed the course. He finished the race. He understands what we're going through on a daily basis, and he wants to help us cross the finish line. Earlier we read from Isaiah that the Lord will renew our strength. He will empower us to run long, to carry it on to the end. But that only happens when we look to Jesus for everything. It's only when we give him our, our firm and our focused gaze. And I just ask you, does that describe your life? Do you have that kind of singular focus as you run the race? Or instead, are you exhausted? Are you discouraged? Because your eyes are just seeing your circumstances rather than focused on your Savior. If I'm going to run a strong Christian race, I must run looking. I want to ask you to to bow your heads with me right now. We're going to bring this message to a close. I just want us to have a a bit of a time of reflection here in the quietness of this moment. And I just want to remind you once again that to be a Christian is to be a runner. The race is on, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in it. And the question that really matters is this, what kind of race are you running? And that's what we've been talking about. What kind of race are you running? Are you running hard all the way to the finish line? Or are you stumbling and staggering toward the end? Or sadly, perhaps some of you have already bailed out and you've given up along the way. God wants you to run a strong Christian race and he's given you a coaching plan. In fact, he's given you himself. So where do you need to ramp up your training program in order to run with renewed strength? I just want you to ask God to reveal that to you where you're seated right now. I'm also mindful of the fact that not everyone in this audience is a follower of Jesus. And sure, you may be in what we often call the rat race of life, but you're not running for Christ. You're not running as a follower of Jesus. You're not seeking to run the way that we've unpacked this morning. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you recognize I, I'm, I'm not on the same page as everybody else. You've never acknowledged your sinfulness before God. You've never received his forgiveness. You, 
You haven't begun the lifelong journey of following him and becoming like him. And I just want to encourage you, if you've never done that, why not today? Today could be the day where you start that race. Join us in the amazing race. It's awesome. Why don't you talk to God about that right now? Father God, we thank you for this portion of scripture that shows us how we can run a race that pleases you, run a a strong Christian race, how we can finish, not just start, and how we can do so in a way that brings honor to your name. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who, that's their heart, that's all of our hearts. God, we, we want to do that. We don't want to be the guy who quits. We want to finish strong, but God, we need your help. And so God, would you speak to each heart about the things that we've talked about? And God, maybe there's one thing that you would help each of us identify that that's what I need to do. I need to start doing that or stop doing that. And God, for those who are not even on the race, God, would you call them to follow you? God, would they join us in running the only race that really matters? Living the life that really matters, the life lived for you. Jesus, thank thank you that you have accomplished all that's necessary for us to enter into relationship, God. Jesus, you've died, you've given your life. Your forgiveness is freely offered in this moment. God, would you help some to embrace that, to surrender? We seek to honor you, God, in all things. May we be runners who bring glory to your name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.